0: The first reading is from the letter to the Colossians. Uh, This is chapter 1 starting from verse 10 through to verse 20. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. The people stood watching of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence we are punished justly for we are getting what our sins deserve. But this man has done Nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise.
1: Thank you, Jerry. So when my son Michael was a wee boy, a game that we used to like playing in the car was if I were king. And you would say all the things that you would do, you know, if you were king or queen. Now, I would try to be a good, you know, a good role model, you know, (laughs) and, you know, and and my my things that I would be asking for when it was my turn would be, you know, I would want an end to poverty, you know, and I would want justice, um, But for Michael, well, usually Michael would focus on all the horses that he would be able to buy if he was king, something that he had in common with Queen Elizabeth II. Now, this week, um, I have been ill, um, and I've tried to rest when I can, um, and I've watched uh, the latest series of The Crown, you know, just... I mean but of a candy floss for the brain, as my dad would say, <laughs> just to kind of edge out to. Um, and so uh, the latest, uh, and so as I've been watching it, you know, that this series is set in the 80s and early 90s. And there is this sense of, you know, duty, set, you know, setting the monarch apart from the rest of humanity. You know, and you get that sense, you know, that you can see that there's these traditions, you know, that you need to live within if you're a monarch. But it's not just the monarch, it's the whole royal family. You know, and and these traditions, you know, bring order, but they can also be oppressive. You know, yes, there's wealth, the palaces... You know, the travelling around. They travelled quite a bit about on the Royal Yacht in this series, you know. Um, you know, they're surrounded by the, you know the beautiful works of art, lovely landscapes. But in return, there's this sense of denial of self and the duty to the crown and the country. And while there is the duty to the crown and the country, you know... And the monarch's not allowed to interfere with politics. The monarch has to be impartial. And so all of this creates pressure. And the impact, you know, that this has, you know, not just on the monarch, but on the family. And in the latest series, you know, we're reminded of Princess Margaret being, you know, denied permission to marry group captain Peter Townsend. And in this, you know, a series, you know, there's a deep sense of loneliness within so many of the key characters. And so you can understand why some people who who came into this situation, like Diana, Princess of Wales, you know, really struggled with being a part of the royal family and eventually wanted to be free of it. And I was thinking about this earthly vision of monarchy, You know, when I was preparing for for today, because today is Christ the King Sunday, the end of the church calendar year, and the gospel writer Luke has us, you know, gazing with soldiers and criminals and the countless bystanders who who we know were there, including those who loved him, you know, gazing on Christ the King. A king who dies on a cross, disturbing all of our human assumptions of of royalty, of success and power. But as we gaze, we realise that he turns over all earthly dominions, worldly ambition, self-promotion, so often humanity's foremost concern. We encounter Christ the King and know a presence who rules not with the arbitrary power of coercion, human charm, persuasion, personality, but with the just and gentle rule of God's truth expressed in love. And as we gaze on the vision of Christ on the cross, we can see Jesus, our King, who is fully human and fully divine. Luke's description of Jesus's crucifixion begins with a sketch of the humiliation that Jesus endures as the soldiers lift him up on the cross and gamble for his clothing. He hangs between two criminals, no longer a leader, but facing a silent crowd and hostile authorities. And the theme of his kingship emerges first as cruel irony. The placard identifying his crime reads, This is the king of the Jews. Matthew and John record the same inscription. And whoever wrote these words intended to mock both Jesus and the Jews, contrasting a grand claim with an ignominious reality. Luke may have wanted his hearers to remember the second temptation in chapter 4, verses 5 to 8, where Satan offered Jesus all the kingdoms of the world. On both occasions, Jesus rejects human kingship. The inscription above him reflects utter misunderstanding. Of who he is. But then there is a twist in the story. Kingship emerges again, this time in the words of the second criminal, speaking of Jesus' kingdom. Now, the first criminal hanging beside Jesus has mocked him, deriding him, saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the second criminal, The good thief, as he is known to us, or the penitent thief. He knows that Jesus is innocent. He knows that Jesus is the king of heaven. This man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. This man shares with Jesus the humiliating and excruciating death inflicted upon him them but through his faith this man also shares his resurrection. Jesus says to him truly I tell you today you will be with me in paradise. I just love this encounter with the good thief because this man sees Jesus for who he really is for all his flaws, for all that he's done in his life. He sees Jesus for who he is. And it isn't just me who loves this encounter. So many artists have painted the scene, you know, and William Barclay says that legend has been busy with the good thief. One legend makes him to be like a Judean Robin Hood, robbing the rich to give to the poor. Another one tells how the holy family were attacked by robbers when they fled with the baby Jesus from Bethlehem to Egypt. Jesus was saved by the son of the captain of the robber bands. The baby Jesus was so lovely that the young robber could not bear to lay hands on him, but set him free saying, O most blessed of children, if ever there comes a time for having mercy on me, Then remember me and forget not this hour. The robber youth who saved baby Jesus met him again on Calvary. And this time, Jesus saved him. Whatever the provenance of these legends, the good thief understands that Jesus is the Son of God, is the King of Heaven but that he isn't a king that is beyond our reach. Jesus is a king who is one of us, who is beside us in our suffering, who who we can approach at any time. And he is there for us, no matter what. Here we have the contrast between the rough justice of the world, which condemns someone to a horrible death for some unspecified crime, in the kingdom of King Jesus, where a criminal is welcomed as a companion. And it is on the cross, in his suffering, that Jesus is most clearly recognisable as king, with the power even to invite someone into paradise. The botched attempt at irony with the placard is revealed as inadequate. Jesus' royal identity comes sharply into focus as he faces his own death, his own agony, and still finds room for compassion for another. As followers of Christ, we too are invited into Christ's kingdom. A knowledge that should strengthen and encourage us no matter what is happening within our lives. And what makes this kingdom so special? Well, Paul tells the Colossians in verse 16 of chapter one, "Christ the King is the source of the entire cosmos and is its unifying center." Christ the King is first in every way, and as head of the body, he is both leader and source of the church." The fullness of God dwells in him. An evocative phrase suggesting both infinite power and infinite love. This world-changing presence enables reconciliation between God and humanity through Jesus' self-giving on the cross. His kingship is expressed in a pivotal action of self-sacrifice that breaks apart barriers between humanity and God and enables God's fullness to flow freely within humanity and the cosmos. It was God who began the whole process of salvation. It was because God so loved the world that he sent his son. God's one object in sending his son into this world was to woo humanity back to himself and to reconcile all things to himself. That reconciliation came through the blood of the cross. The cross is the proof that there is no length to which the love of God will refuse to go to win humanity's hearts. And a love like that demands an answering love. And remember that in his letter to the Colossians, Paul says that in Christ, God was reconciling all things to himself. That reconciliation extends not only to all persons, but all creation, animate and inanimate. How amazing is that? So we can get overwhelmed by the darkness that we encounter in the world. It can appear that the world is indeed evil. And remember that the world is, but remember friends, that the world is God's and shares in the reconciliation bought by the cross, and so, as citizens of Christ's kingdom, it is our duty to bring that reconciling love to the to the Lord of the Lord to this world, to share His life, this, His life-transforming love with all those who need to know it, to be continually praying. For the Lord Jesus to bring his healing love to all situations. So when we feel downcast by politicians, remember who is our king? Jesus. When we feel depressed by the ongoing wars of this world, remember who is our king? Jesus. When we are overwhelmed by climate change and the barrage of negative news on our screens remember who is our king, Jesus. When we're worried about, you know, where the cost of living might lead, remember who is our king, Jesus. Even as Christians, we can be influenced by the world. You know, we can partner with the spirit of fear. You know, we can, be, we can partner with the spirit of poverty or have anxiety, disappointment, and disillusionment come over us. But shake it off because everything comes under Christ. Everything can be redeemed through Christ. What a hope we have in Christ. And no matter how good they are, no earthly monarch can ever come near to the majesty of our heavenly king. Because our King Jesus died to save us. His blood cleanses of us of our sins and reconciles us in all things to our Father God. Our King Jesus meets us in our brokenness. So whatever the challenges, disorders, and difficulties of our lives, the cross we survey holds Christ the King. And we too can ask, remember me when you come into your kingdom, fully confident that nothing of our present suffering can separate us from Christ, who is the King of the way, the truth, And the love at the heart of God.